from Relay FM, this is Connected, episode number 73. Today's show is brought to you by Igloo and PDF Pen from Smile. My name is Mike Hurley, and I'm joined by Mr. Stephen Hackett. Hello, Michael Hurley. Hello, Stephen Hackett, and hello to Federico Vitici. Good evening, guys. Oh, good, good evening, Federico. Yeah, it's getting dark out here. I'm I'm really tired of this winter season. It's just you know? started. Yeah, yeah, it should be over like tomorrow. But anyway, how are oh, you, Mike? Fast. How are you? How I'm are you good. Doing? I'm very good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I've got a sticker on my Apple pencil. I saw the picture on Twitter. Yeah. So tell me, what are you doing? Because I showed the the photo to Sylvia also. Mm-hmm. What are why? Um, so why in general, like? You're starting to put stickers on accessories, not just your main devices, but also the accessories to the device. Don't you think this is a little too much, maybe? Nah. Somebody sent me this, right? Some Someone sent me a link to this a couple of weeks ago. Dbrand, the company that makes skins for devices, they created um, an iPad, uh, an Apple Pencil skin, which makes it look like just like a regular pencil. And I was like, ah, that's silly. And then I was... I was talking to Gray about it, and I decided I would just get one. I just see how it came out. Uh, it came today. I stuck it on. I think it looks kind of cool, so I figure why not just leave it on and see how I feel about it. Because at the end of the day, I have stickers on all over my iPad. You see a preview of them in the the, the little picture that I took. Um, I'm gonna see how I feel about it, but I think it's fun. I like putting stickers on things. I like giving things a little bit of extra personality. I don't like that the Apple pencil's white all white anyway, so now I have mine that looks like a regular woodcase pencil. I can't help but notice your stickers are oriented in a vertical fashion. And I would imagine you don't hold your iPad. They are not. You are not seeing all of the stickers. Those stickers are. Stickers on other parts of the device are facing in different directions. Oh, so you did the full uh, round robin on the stickers. I went round robin, yep. Because you look at something like the Slack sticker, that could be any... The the Fetici seal of quality could be in any, you know, depending on how you're looking at it. And you see what the pencil's pointing to? That's one of those new wooden slack stickers. Have you seen those? Yeah, I I, I don't mind being sideways, Mike. Okay. That's no problem. I, I do like the, the combination of uh, of the colors in the stickers. Uh, yeah, those ones know? are all grouped up there because they look good together. So the the thing is, I'm, I'm adding stickers to my... Um, to my iPad Pro more slowly because there's less space to put stickers on. So like I'm adding them slowly over time so there's still a lot of space on it because I haven't found the right stickers yet. Hmm. That's interesting. I mean the pencil is really like like something now. It's it looks like a combination of a pen and an actual pencil, you know. You it's go. got the little the the, the clip. What the, what do you call it? the clip at the top? Is that Yeah, a clip? I bought the clip. It's uh-huh. a, it's an aftermarket thing. Um, I also bought a pen loop as well. I'm I'm all in on the customization of this thing, as as usual. Uh, at this point, you should also buy a fake sharpening tool. And when you go to a coffee shop, you pretend you're sharpening your pencil. <laughs> I could do that. I could just get a regular pencil sharpener and take the blade out. Yeah. So you can just be the guy, you know, the hipster guy with the sharpener at the, at the coffee shop. Yep. You already do drink the hipster coffee, so it would be a coffee, good fit. Coffee the drink, man. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, uh, I think we got some follow up from Stephen about uh, his latest addiction. We we do have uh, some some follow up. Before we get to it, I would like to point out 
uh, episode 13 of this <laughs> this very program. You are dead to rights, oh, Federico. No. Oh, my God. So- in which one Federico Vitici outlines his concern and desire to preserve software from the App Store. Okay. Okay. I- I'll give you that. Um- That's not all, though. There are episodes of Virtual more? where you did oh, wow. the same. Yes, okay, so I, I, I make fun of Steven, right, because of the OS ten installers. Um, I think, I mean, if I have to be serious, I know why he's doing it, and I, and I appreciate the effort, and, I, and maybe if I had the capacity, I would do the same with iOS. Um, in all seriousness, I think preserving software is awesome. It's something that people should be doing. But I, I guess my main argument is big companies should be doing this. Um, you know, Apple should be doing this. Um, Nintendo, Sony, all the big guys, you know, with the digital content should find ways to preserve content and let people use apps or play games again 20, 30 years from now. What... What what I find amusing is that I imagine this sort of attic in Steven's house and his family doesn't know about it. So it's like I have this sort of different image of Steven collecting stuff secretly from his family. That's what I find amusing, even if that's probably not true. Uh, but I like to think that secret, Steven has like a secret base where he stashes all of his old Macs and, and backups <laughs> and stuff. Um, I do... I do yeah, I do understand why you do that, Stephen. So if I if I poke fun sometimes, it's only for for the sake of the show, you know. That's good. That that will help me through my therapy appointment. I can poke fun because I just think it's crazy. So <laughs> there's that. <laughs> well, see, Mike is a bad person. I pretend yeah. to be a bad person, Stephen. Yeah. <laughs> Pretending to be a bad person does that make you better or worse? That may be worse <laughs> because no, you're aware that it's no, bad and you're still doing no, it. No, because if you look at it from my perspective, I do it for the sake of the show. So it mm. makes me also a good colleague, not also a good friend. I don't know if that makes you a good colleague. No, it does. <laughs> <laughs> well, you put it that way. <laughs> and uh, I did. I did have some help. I have uh, some people to thank for helping me source some pre-release OS10 stuff. There are all these. Uh, versions of OS 10 before they got to like 10.0. They had uh, the developer previews and a public beta, and they had Rhapsody and Mac OS 10 Server 1.0. Uh, I now have the complete set of OS 10 installers. Uh, so thank you if you help me on Twitter source some of that stuff. And the one guy on eBay I bought a disc from. So uh, the collection of OS 10 installers is uh, is now complete. And uh, I've been playing with some of the those developer previews on a PowerBook and. Uh, Man, <laughs> the road to OS ten was a bumpy one. We'll just we'll just leave it at that. If anyone was around that transition or working as a developer during that transition, uh, my hat is off to you for living through that time and surviving it. So it's complete. Uh, I will say that someone on Twitter, uh, I'll try to dig it up for the notes, uh, mentioned that they are doing this with iOS, which of course uh, is is probably harder because you have. You you have you would have to have it running on the device like an old OS installer. I can burn a disk anytime and install it on an old computer. But what I is guess... that just downloading the GM builds from the developer center? Yeah, but yeah, but I think their point was they they have like a, a, a stack of old iPod touches and they run like various versions of yeah that feels less, less, less secure or safe than the way that you do it. Like in keeping the actual files. 
because yeah. well well the problem the the fragility is there in both ways right because i've got like say these os10 developer previews as an example dp1 only ran on like two machines and then dp2 etc ran on several um and i've got like a power book and a tower that can run those old versions of os10 but at some point those old g3 max are going to explode and and like at some point these just become bits on disk where you can't actually run them um which is like the problem with software uh like saving software and preserving it is that eventually like you run into the situation where it can't be run anymore like the old you know stuff that ran on big punch card machines like you have to have a punch card machine to run that you can't you can't virtualize it you can't put it on something else and once all that all that hardware goes away then it it just becomes ones and zeros which is like it's sort of a losing fight trying to preserve um, software where, you know, even if the, my say that, that power book Pismo I have, even if it dies, like the logic board goes up in smoke, I still have the computer, right? It's not functioning, which makes it less interesting, but I still have like the, the design of it and the weight and the way it worked and the way the batteries came out. Um, so it's kind of a different, a different thing. And it's sort of like, if you think about it from the standpoint that Federico spoke about on those, on those episodes, it's kind of sad, right? Like the the games that we once loved or the software that we once got our work done, it will die because there won't be a container, there won't be hardware for it to run on anymore. That's somber note. That's somber note. Uh, emoji via text replacement system. We got a whole stack yes. of tweets from people. Uh, iOS, as uh, you probably know, has a built-in text replacement system, so you can give it uh, a shortcut and you can give it the expanded text and it will fill it out if it feels like it. I've had very mixed luck with this over the years. Uh, yep. So I've given up on it. Um, it's supposed really? to sync. It's supposed to sync huh. via iCloud. That's what has never yeah. worked for me. Oh yeah. That, but, that um, sucks. <laughs> yeah. It's really bad. And so what That's some so people bad. have done, uh, including these three tweets in the show notes have put some of their commonly used emoji as mm-hmm. uh text shortcut. So like in Slack, you can do colon, flag dash de colon and it will give you the little uh german flag and uh you can you can sort of re- recreate that with this text replacement system which is pretty cool and uh it seems that apple could leverage that technology they already have to mimic something like what slack does in in typing emoji if you will instead of like hunting it down on that crazy keyboard i've seen uh, somebody do this. I wish I would have kept it for the show notes. There was one of the third-party keyboards, maybe something like Swift Key or something like that, uh, would suggest emoji as you type. That's probably Swift Key or Flex Key, maybe. Yeah, Flexi. Yeah. Flexi. Fle- flexi. What do you say? Huh? Flexi. Yeah, flexi. Flexi. Probably flexi. one of those. One of them, yeah, does this. And there's a bunch of emoji keyboards that do this. I got a bunch of pitches in my in my email inbox after the episode. <laughs> yeah. Uh, w- what I've been doing, yeah, what I've been doing after um, since the past year, really, is um, I created text shortcuts in the iOS keyboard preferences. And instead of doing like semicolon and some kind of keyword, uh, because I don't care about flags and that type of stuff, I only care about emotions, you know, like smiles and hearts and mm, monkeys for some reason. I don't know. Um, so what I do is I use the standard emoticons. So colon, parentheses, and like colon or um, uh, capital D, you know, for the big smile. Um, and and it, basically, the, the reason I do this is if 
out of habit, I try to uh, type out the standard emoticon code, it gives me an emoji. Because, you know, I don't want to look like an old person using the old emoticons. Not even my mom does anymore. Um, and, and now it's become sort of natural for me to, like, type out the, the standard, uh, you know, column, parenthesis, and it gives me the, the, the emoji smile. Um, I set up, like, uh, like, 10 or 12 of these for my most used ones. And the problem is, like you said, Stephen, um, sometimes sync doesn't work. And by sometimes, I mean all the time when you set up a new device. Then for some reason, like out of a miracle, uh, like a couple of weeks later, it starts working. I don't know if it's like... It's like wine that you gotta you gotta wait a couple of you know for a certain period of time for it to become good you know like sink so sink is like like a fine apple wine you gotta wait uh, for <laughs> deposit to, to, to kind of uh, I don't know how it works really uh, just wait a couple of weeks and it start working that's probably not not a good way to put it but that's how it's been doing for me. I had a weird thing a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I have a few of these text selections for like text replacement things for a few different commonly used phrases or whatever and uh i was using one i have like ttm which says thanks man because i say that quite a lot uh and i typed ttm and it expanded and i pressed send on a dm in twitter and it just sent ttm instead then i did it again and it did it again uh so i look like a crazy person who uh, i was dming with That's pretty good. And uh, there, there is a tweet in here from uh, from Graham on Twitter saying that there is a one of Apple's Chinese keyboards has emoji in its suggestions. Yeah. You know, uh, in yeah. the quick type bar that they're putting. Yeah. So he's a picture of a little horse in here. Yeah, that's how Apple should do it. Yeah, yeah. Like, like why not throw it in in the in the quick type thing? I don't know about you guys. I use that f- feature all the time. Like, it has really cut down to the number of characters I have to type on my iPhone. But it uh, seems like a sort of a every natural. now and then, not Which very often. Uh, I like the game. Uh, we used to do this as, as a group uh, of us, with along with uh, Matt. Uh, we used to play this game where we would just smash the keyboard until and let quick type like pick words, um, and yeah. that's really cool until you ruin your predictive text on your phone because it just doesn't know what to do anymore. But uh, it's. Um, I think I guess our our collective point is that there are a lot of ways Apple could do this, and Apple should do it. So, we'll see. Yes, we agree. Last thing in follow up, uh, Mike. This is directed to you. Has Google Docs been updated for iOS nine? Oh fuck no! <laughs> <laughs> how do you feel? How do you feel about that? I feel great. Tell us how you really feel, Mike. Yeah, I feel great. It's awesome. It makes me so happy to to work in a really kind of just constrained way every single time that I try and do anything in all of the various Google apps that I use to try and get my work done. Yeah. So, do you know, we're, we're going to keep getting the suggestions to, hey, have you tried Quip? Hey, have you tried this other service? Why do you keep using Google Docs? Do you know the Pages works fine now with iCloud and collaboration? So we are, again, uh, we are aware of the alternatives and we just need to use Google Docs. So I just feel like this disclaimer is until we're going to get a multitasking update. This is my disclaimer. Uh, so I want to take care of you guys by protecting you, uh, by, by, by telling people, please don't send us suggestions. It's not that we don't love you. We do love you and we, we do appreciate the suggestions. Um, we just got to keep waiting for Google Docs. Right, guys? 
It's, it's the best service I've ever used, like, for the collaboration. I said this again, the collaboration engine is amazing, just the apps on top of them is not so much. Yeah, yeah, it's, I mean, my, increasingly more and more of my work is done in Google Drive, both at Relay and other places. It's just, it's it's just really critical to how I work, and uh, I hope, hopefully they, uh, they get uh, they get that sorted. Uh, someone on someone on Twitter and I think someone in our in our feedback email had made the suggestion or sort of like a winky suggestion of that the drive team is separate from Docs, et cetera, et cetera. And like surely that is the case. I and mean, Google's huge, and these apps are really big and complicated. So I'm sure they're different groups, but that well, doesn't really that doesn't really change anything about the complaint. Like if anything, you could work in parallel. Like you don't. Uh, it just seems it, it doesn't matter to me if it's different teams or not. It's it's something that should be addressed. It could be different teams working on the apps, but like Docs is part of Drive. Like they have, they must have the same overall leadership, right? It's part of the Drive suite. Um, they they go together. There must be some collaboration there. And also, like the other thing, that's not my problem. As a user, I don't care, right? Like I don't care that the teams are different. It's been like nine months now. So I am unhappy, clearly. Really? It's been how many months? Well, like how long ago did the betas begin? Oh, well, June. June. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Well, maybe, I don't know, the guy at Google in charge of following the news was drunk in San Francisco and he didn't notice until September. That could be an excuse. Um, I, that is an unacceptable excuse. <laughs> Especially because you're being drunk from June to September. It's probably not not a good strategy. Yep. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, uh, we're, <laughs> we're going to keep waiting and, and being sad. Um, you know, that's what we do lately when it comes to Google Apps on, on the iPad. I'm, I'm sorry, Mike. I continue to be sorry about this. There's lots of, lots of uh, sombering things and... Mm-hmm. this week yeah let, let's talk about something slightly happier shall we yeah sounds good um so i have gotten into the world of of the sonos uh sound equipment and there's, there's a note here from federico can steven explain sonos to me so the i guess the, the pitch <laughs> for sonos is it's high-end you know uh speaker system but sort of like for the 21st century so i just bought one of their speakers but you can i can go out and buy others and i can go buy other devices they sell and basically you can kind of build up your system over time and so you can do this you can have a couple of what i have in different rooms of the house and so you can play music uh to like the kitchen or the bedroom and it'd be separate or you can tie them together so you could say hey these are both uh, in the living room, and this one is the left speaker. Use this one as the right speaker, and they're all very intelligent. They're they work over wireless. Uh, the model I have even has an Ethernet jack on the back of it. You can do it over your wired connection, and it basically turns speakers from something that are just sort of a dumb thing that just plays what they're told to something that's a lot more dynamic. And the hardware is great. They sound great. Um, it's actually very Apple-like in a in a lot of ways. The the hardware. I bought the the Play One, which is sort of like their their base model, and uh, we can find a link to that put in the show notes. But it 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 comes out of the box. It's beautifully wrapped. It's, it's a beautiful device. I bought it in white. It sits in our kitchen, and it it really looks like an Apple device. And then you turn it on, and the onboarding 
is really good. And, you know, we've all experienced this with like smart devices where like you have to join their wireless network and then tell the device, no, go use my home wireless network or like do like a Bluetooth bridge or something. Even all of that stuff, which is generally fiddly in home electronics is really well done. Um, and they have their own, like they work on their own deal. So this is not using AirPlay. Uh, there are some workarounds and some things you can do to to make it talk to AirPlay, but uh, out of the box, it uses the Sonos app and it streams over your wireless to the to the speaker. And so, what this gives you is it works around some of the weirdness of AirPlay. So, yeah, the other night we were making dinner and uh, we're playing music from my iPhone to the Sonos. And I needed to look something up on, or like I wanted to look something up on YouTube real quick. And I did it, and the YouTube audio doesn't interrupt with the Sonos as it's playing from my oh. phone. Oh, and the Sonos nice. is continuing to stream in the background. And so it is, it is, it's a little weird that it is broken. Like it's not in control center, like it's broken away from the system audio. Uh, so it can play music from, uh, basically any streaming service you can think of. It can play music from your local library and your local podcast library. So it can't, uh, something that's a little frustrating is it currently can't play music from overcast or, or any third party podcast client. You have to be in your podcast app, um, library, but, um, for, but really for music, it's really great. And so I've been listening to stuff just locally on my, uh, from my phone and if you use something like, I know Spotify supports this, where uh, my wife and I can have a shared queue, and so she can add a song, I can add a song, and it just plays through it. Um, it's all really great, and I'm really enjoying it. And like a lot of people on Twitter were like, yes, you will buy more of them, and I can totally see how that's going to happen. But the, the question for me uh, came to my mind almost immediately, is why is Apple not in this space? And I know that we've bemoaned Apple doing a lot of different types of things. And so I understand that there's friction in my two uh, schools of thought on that. But this really seems like something Apple would be good at and would want to do. And they, they've dabbled in this in the past. Of course, there's the iPod Hi-Fi and a whole bunch of crazy stuff in the 90s. Uh, and now there's AirPlay. And there, there are speakers that you can buy that have AirPlay sort of built in. You can use an Airport Express. If anyone remembers those things, they still sell them. Uh, they can put on your network and plug speakers into and, and do AirPlay that way. And, of course, Apple supports uh, Bluetooth audio. We used a jam box before this in the kitchen, and that just works great. Uh, and I think the question is even weirder when you consider that uh, it was heavily rumored, including like a story this weekend uh, in Variety, that Beats Audio was working on a Sonos-like system uh, when Apple bought them. And that it seems like, according to sources, Apple basically shut that program down. And uh, it just seems like curious to me that Apple wouldn't want to be uh, in the home audio space. I, I don't know if you guys had any had any thoughts on that or not. I think that Beats would. Like, it just makes sense that Beats would have something. Like, why not have... They have speakers, right? They already have their little Beats pill and things like that. Why not yeah. make a connected speaker yeah. of some description? Yeah. Like it just seems like the next logical step for something like Apple Music. And I mean, you look, you know, they do CarPlay, right? Which is kind of this with some extra stuff, but in a car. Mm-hmm. I think it makes sense to have something like this in the home because the Apple TV isn't that 
right? Like the Apple TV is the the video portion, and then maybe they create like some kind of Apple iPod Hi-Fi for audio. Yeah, I've 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 been thinking. Or they just buy Sonos. Yeah, I've been thinking about this, right? And and I got a few friends who bought um one of those Beats uh, portable speakers, and it's really strange that they don't have a bigger one. And my theory uh, is that maybe you know this kind of product, uh, you know, for the home, which is not exactly portable, isn't exactly in the range of Beats. Uh, kind of market you know they make portable stuff for like trendy portable speakers uh, portable headphones or earbuds for you know for fitness and that kind of stuff and and a speaker that you keep on your desk or you keep on the kitchen table it's not exactly i don't want to say trendy or hip but you, you get the idea maybe that's the reason why they don't want to do it or they just you know they tried they didn't have a the good electronics in place and Apple bought them and they were like, no, what are you doing? We're going to do a new one, but you got to, but you got to wait. Uh, I don't know. It is strange. Yeah. And especially when you, when you think about like the, the, from the home kit angle, which we spoke a lot about a couple months ago, where Apple is doing some stuff like in the connected home, smart home world. And it's not hard to imagine that a speaker or audio system or something could tie into something like that and um, let alone like the Apple TV. And I mean, there's, there's lots of like weird little holes in Apple's strategy that could be filled with something like this. Um, but yeah, I mean, maybe it's just as simple as the Beats one wasn't very good or wasn't far enough yeah. along and, and, and Apple just decided that it wasn't something worth focusing on. But uh, I, I do think there's, I mean, clearly there's a market for this, right? Sonos is a, is a very successful company and not to mention all of the, you know the B and O's and the Bose and and all these other companies out in the world that do this sort of stuff, and I think Apple could do well in it. It's just it just, it just came to my mind like Sonos is a very Apple like experience. Um, uh, for the most part, their Mac app is a dumpster fire, but the rest of it's really good. Uh, why not? Uh, you know why not look at it? So, anyways, I'll uh, I'll keep you guys posted on it. So far, it's yeah. it's really been really nice to have and. Uh, We'll see so if the, I add any. The sound quality is good um, on the Play 1? It is. It's really good. And I've listened to a bunch of different types of music on it. It's very clear. It does really well loud. Um, it, doesn't, nice. uh, it doesn't seem to distort any. And it, uh, it, it, the app has a feature where basically you put it in the, in the room where you want it. So I just sort of at the end of the kitchen, sort of almost in a corner. And you put it where you want it. And then the iPhone app will walk you through... Um, basically getting it set up for the room so it wants the room to be silent you it actually does a really clever thing where even if your screen rotation is locked it turns the app ui upside down because it wants the microphone and like the the speaker at the bottom of the phone pointed at the speaker itself and so it it prompts you in a very visual way to turn your phone upside down and then it plays tones with the phone and the speaker and it it sort of gets everything set up for the room uh, acoustically and uh, I will say, after doing that, I, I could tell a difference in the, kind of what it was doing. It, it really, uh, at least for my uses, is is definitely like high end for what I need, and more than happy with the way it sounds. Nice. Yeah, I think that the Sonos solution looks like a good solution. It would just be really nice if it could also do AirPlay, right? That would be like the final thing that would make it super awesome. 
Like it has all the other good stuff, but like the the ability to not be able to send overcast to it is for me yeah. a bit of a deal breaker because that's what I'm mainly doing um when I'm at home listening to audio. Yeah, that, and that's completely fair and 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 hopefully there's something that is addressed at some point, but um it is can people build apps for the Sonos? Uh, I know there is. Uh, I know there is a program. I'm not quite sure of the the details on that. Um, but uh, I, you I, have to work with them, I assume. I think so. Yeah, like yeah. you can't just show up and be like, because they don't have an app store, right? There's no Sonos app store. I assuming. I don't know. Yeah, hmm. I, I'm. I'm not real positive to be the, to tell you the truth. All right. So well, did we'll you see. did you try the the Apple Music beta um, program? Uh, I don't have an Apple Music account, so no. Oh, oh that's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I forgot. This week's episode is brought to you by Igloo. We all love Igloo. They make the internet that you will actually like. And this is because Igloo understand that you don't have to be tied to your desk, stuck in that one location to get your work done. People don't want to work like that these days. People don't work like that these days. So they have built their intranet to be able to be used from wherever you are, whether you want to work from the bus, whether you want to work on a train, whether you want to work from a friend's house, maybe you want to work in the garden, you can work from a co-working space. No matter where you are, everything's going to be with you. Your task lists, your documents, everything. Your status updates so you can let the team know how you've just done on that client meeting. It's all going to be with you. It's all mobile. It looks and feels great on all devices. They've optimized it to look good on phones and tablets and computers. It looks great everywhere. And it, one of the reasons it looks great is because you get the ability to customize Igloo with all the colors that you like. You can get to put your kind of your team and company identity in there. And you can also customize everybody's areas, their group spaces, to give them just the right functions and tools that they need to get their work done. Igloo have also worked with to integrate services like Box, Google Drive, and Dropbox into their big, easy-to-secure platform. Because these days, people are using these applications as a way to access their stuff from wherever they are, right? Like, we all use it. But if you're taking company documents and putting them in your own personal account, that can be a security risk. Not only because, And also, it also splits up the documents and there can be different versions, right? Let alone the fact that it's a security risk. So Igloo have integrated all of these services into their platform so you can still use them and stay secure and safe and make sure everybody's on the same page. Igloo have 256-bit encryption, single sign-on and active directory integrations. This is just an example of how safe and secure Igloo is. They also have their own document previewing engine where you can share files of your co-workers you can collaborate together and this has read receipts built right in so you can see who has looked at a specific document and make sure that everybody's on the right page together it's time to break away from the internet that you hate go and sign up for igloo right now and you can try it out for free of any team of up to 10 people for as long as you want which is an awesome deal sign up right now at igloosoftware.com slash connected thank you so much to igloo for their support of this show and relay fm so we were discussing yesterday um, about what we were going to talk about today. We had a couple of topics that have been sitting in our cryogenic chamber that we were looking to bring out. And then Apple dropped iOS 9.3 on us. Yeah, that was quite the surprise. <laughs> yes, it was a little bit of a surprise. We'll get to a little bit later, I think, why this is such a surprise. But should we break down some of the new features? Probably the biggest uh, user-facing feature is Night Shift. Federico, yeah. what is Night Shift? So if you remember uh, a while back, a uh, popular tool uh, for the Mac called Flux um, came out on iOS. 
uh, and you could install this application by sideloading uh, the file with Xcode. Basically, Flux is a is is a, a utility that uh, during the day keeps the displays. Uh, color and brightness uh, at the same level that you usually uh, use your computer with. Uh, after sunset or with the custom schedule set by you, um, the flux reduces the blue light wavelength of the traditional LCD displays and it switches to a warmer uh, yellow tint of the displays. Uh, the display in front of you, so it's easier on the eye, and it follows the idea that, according to many scientific studies, um, reducing blue light before bed helps with, you know, better sleep, less headache, and less eye strain. Um, Apple, of course, uh, came down with their ban hammer on site loading flux, and now with iOS 9.3, to anyone, to everyone's surprise, there's a new tool called Night Shift, which basically does exactly what Flux does. Um, it's integrated with the operating system, so if you go into settings, display and brightness, there's a new uh, reduce blue light setting. Uh, you can say, I want my device to reduce the blue light after sunset until sunrise, or you can set a custom schedule. Uh, if you're like me and you have you know weird uh, habits when it comes to sleep time and waking up in the morning, or should I say lunchtime, um, you can also activate you can also activate night shift manually there's a toggle so it's really like low power mode uh, you can activate it manually anytime you want you can also let the system kick it in and and, and activate it automatically um, so I tried it uh, last night I have always been kind of a kind of a kind of skeptical about flux you know I I know many many people who swear by flux they're like I cannot use my MacBook without flux and every time I set up a new OS 10 machine, I install Flux because it's just so much better. And it's been so much better for my for my eyesight and, you know, g- going to bed every night. And I've always been kind of, yeah, I don't really believe this. Um, and, and the fact that I don't use a Mac anymore uh, didn't exactly urge me to try Flux. So last night I, I set up um, at about 1 a.m. or 2 a.m. I was already in bed. I was uh, watching a TV show with my girlfriend. Um, I, I installed the, the I, I activated the the night shift on my two devices. So my primary iPhone 6s Plus and iPad Pro are already on iOS 9.3 Beta One. Yes, I know I shouldn't. I'm not supposed to do this, but whatever. They're stable, so it works for me. Um, initially, my reaction is okay. This is strange. This is very yellow. I don't like this. What am I gonna do? But I, so I tweeted this, and a few people told me stick with it for a couple of hours, and you'll see. So sure enough, uh, I I kept it enabled for about four hours, and when I was I got used to it, right? So I I worked on a, on a Mac Stories article. I did a, bu- a bunch of email. When I after four hours and a half, maybe I went back into the settings. I disabled the night shift, and the blue light hit me so hard. My eyes felt like they were burning. It was terrible. <laughs> like I was looking at this screen, I was like, this is blue. How did I use this screen at night for the past six, seven years, every single night? And I'm looking at this blue, you know, just awful retina burning display. And it's just so nice. I'm not I, I feel like one night without 
you know, headache when I went to sleep. And I actually think I also slept better, but that could be the placebo effect of the first night. So I'll keep testing this. But it felt so nice on the eye. I, I'll give you that. Um, I think I'm a I'm a I'm a flux slash night shift uh, convert. I think I I really like this. And uh, sure, Apple kind of stole it from flux. <laughs> it's it's really similar, uh, but it's a really nice done implementation. And I genuinely believe for lots of types of people, um, people who, you know, work at night, but also for the accessibility community, you know, people with visual impairments or people who need to not strain their eyesight. I genuinely believe this is going to be a, a big deal. And, and it's great to see Apple doing this. Even if I, I can shake the feeling that they were kind of upset by Flax and they were like, sure, you upset us, we're going to steal your idea. Uh, but still, you know, as a, as a, as a customer, uh, it, it works really well. I mean, I can't imagine that this was built in response to that, but clearly yeah. there's there's a Sherlocking element going on. Yes. <laughs> well, they probably got the idea there and then saw that flux thing and was like, no way, <laughs> we're doing that. And then they killed it. Could be. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Did you guys try it uh, last night? Mm-hmm. I did. I'm not on the beta because I'm not a crazy person. <sighs> Steven, you kill all the excitement. First up, no Apple Music, no betas. What do you do? Oh, man. Uh, make OS installers. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, no, I'm excited about this because I'm one of those people, I've used Flux, I mean, as long as I can remember. And it really is, uh, it really is nice. And uh, to a point where uh, a couple weeks ago I was working on my MacBook Pro and then I picked up my wife's MacBook for something and she doesn't run it. And it was like, that experience you had where all of a sudden you feel like your eyes are being melted from your skull. So it is nice and I'm looking forward to it and it may be enough for me to play with the beta, but, um, uh, I think it's, um, I think it's a welcome addition, especially on the iPad where the screen is just so much bigger. Yeah. I've never used flux before. Um, it's not so much of an issue to me now because I very rarely work late on my iMac, uh, but I am working late in the evenings on my iPad um, and on my iPhone. So I installed this and was surprised just how quickly I got used to it. Um, so I had it on my iPhone first and I was looking at it for, for a couple of hours, picked up my iPad and I, and I hadn't enabled the night shift and it was crazy. Like it just looked so different. It, I, I yeah. got used to the tone very quickly because my eyes just adjusted to it and it looked fine. Yeah. Um, and then, like, I was noticing that I would get a notification on my Apple Watch, and it was like my Apple Watch was a laser in my eyeball. <laughs> yes. It was really weird how quickly my eyes just adjusted to it. Um, and it was also much, I think it was much nicer, like, I could have the screen a little brighter in bed, and it wasn't too bright. Um, because, you know, Adina's sleeping, and I'm working until, like, 2 in the morning or whatever. And it felt yep. like the, 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 the light wasn't so harsh. Um, that it would disrupt her, and I could have my screen a little brighter than I usually would. So, uh, I'm I'm really I'm really excited about. It. I think it's a, a great new feature for iOS, um, and it's something that I'm happy Apple is thinking about because they're thinking about like how do people use their devices and how can we make them more comfortable. And I think that that yeah. is a nice addition. Yeah, you know what I'm actually scared of is that now that I have. Night shift on my iOS devices, it's going to be an excuse to say, yeah, well, now I can work even more at night because my <laughs> eyes won't suffer. So I, I think I got to balance that, that kind of a, 
uh, temptation uh, in a way to to say, yeah, I mean, working at night may be better now, but I still gotta keep myself in check uh, because now that I have this tool doesn't mean that I got that I can stay up until seven a.m. working just because I can. So you know, it, it works. It's it seems to be very nice, but take it easy, people. Don't work until five a.m. or six a.m. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so what else is in uh, nine point three? Um. So. Uh, notes got a bunch of nice improvements steven i know that you're gonna be a fan of the new sorting options mm-hmm. you can sort by by date or by name there, there's three of them name uh, date and recently edited nice nice very nice and you can also this is a big deal for me actually uh you can now uh password or touch id protect individual notes so if you go into a note in the notes app on 9.3 and you tap the share icon which is a super weird place to put this button yeah let's not talk about the share sheet right now (laughs) anyway if you tap the share icon there's there's a new i want to say action extension uh to say i want to protect this note so if you store any type of sensitive data in the notes app like um, i don't know your passport your uh, personal documents or health information like I plan to uh, you can now say I want to protect this note so every time I open it it's going to be password protected and only me in theory uh, only I should be able to to access this note so that's nice and I'm glad that I that I switched to the notes app I'm going to put a bunch of um, scanned documents you know PDFs uh, personal uh, receipts in the, in the app like I have a copy of my passport in my yeah. notes app. So now it would be nice to put a password on that note. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a, <laughs> it's kind of funny. Uh, n- uh, the news app uh, got a few updates. Oh, man, uh, I'm so happy those... about that. <laughs> right? I love that news app. <laughs> so, so in this groundbreaking series of updates, um, there's a better algorithm for uh, recommending stories to you. Uh, the main view, uh, which is called the For You section, like Apple Music, should be faster. Uh, you can now tap uh, videos in the main feed and play them without having to go into the story and find the video and play the video. Um, what else is new? There's going to be more editor's picks and, you know, that type of recommendations. And, uh, God, what else? Uh, faster, better recommendations, you know, videos. Uh, Apple is kind of struggling with with news. They 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 did this weird kind of thing uh, a yeah. few days ago where they announced that they're reporting on on the on how many users are actually using notes. It was wrong, and there are actually more people using news than they were expecting them to be. They yep. were like, "Hey guys, look at look at this new service. Actually, there's more people than we expected using this service." It's a or super like, weird article in the Wall Street Journal. I'll put it in the show notes, and they have quotes from a bunch of different like people at different media outlets. And there are so many people like, oh, "It's okay, but we love our relationship with Apple. We love Apple so much. News is doing okay. We love Apple." It's so weird to read it because <laughs> they're like they put in these quotes on the record, but nobody wants to upset Eddie. Yeah, it's it's strange, right? Because it, it feels like they want to say, um, 
well, news is amazing and many people use news, but actually mo even more people than we thought use news. So if the publishers say we haven't seen much traffic, uh, the fault is ours because we, we do, I don't know, like it's, it's, it's trying to spin a, a bad argument in two ways. Uh, and, I, and I really don't understand it. Anyway, if you use Apple News, uh, look look out for uh, iOS 9.3 because there's going to be a bunch of improvements. Um, this is nice. Uh, the health app is going to have uh, uh, two major updates uh, or you know two major new features. You can now view your watch activity data uh, in the dashboard. There's a new uh, card that you can put in for the activity category from your Apple Watch, so you can see move, stand, and um, workout data with a... It looks really nice. There's a dark uh, preview card in the, in the LTAP. And also, for each individual category, or at least for most of the categories in the app, um, the, the Apple now recommends you uh, third-party apps from the App Store. So if you go into the weight category, for instance, you can see Lose It or uh, like the White Things app for uh, the digital scale. Um, if you go into, uh, you know, the steps section, maybe you will be able to find uh, Parameter++ plus plus or, you know, other step counters from the App Store. And the idea is we have these different sections based on HealthKit and there's a there's a lot of these apps on the App Store, so we want to recommend relevant apps to the user. Now, that's, you know, laudable. Uh, that's very nice. My questions are, and my concerns, I guess, how are you going to recommend these apps? Are we going to see the same apps over and over and the usual, usual suspects like MyFitnessPal, LoseIt, and, you know, why things? Or are we going to see more rotation of these recommendations? Are people going to care at all about these recommendations? And are they going to have any sort of meaning, meaningful effect on developers and users? Because every, I feel like every time Apple tried to push these recommendations, they got more, uh, you know, negative reactions than... Than necessary. Remember when they were pushing uh, app recommendations on the lock screen based on your location, mm -hmm. and then they had to add a setting to disable that because people didn't didn't really like uh, the the idea. Uh, we'll see how it goes, I guess. Uh, you know, the alt app could use a little more love. Uh, there's a few apps that do a better job at providing dashboards and visualizations for your health data. Uh, We'll see. Maybe with iOS 10. I, I keep saying this to myself. Maybe with iOS 10. Uh, if you're one of those people, uh, and Mike, you certainly are not, uh, with a car and a CarPlay unit, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> there's go maybe you can, you can have a friend with a CarPlay unit, Mike. I don't know. Um, Anyway, uh, Apple Music and, and Maps. So in, in the Music app, I think you will have uh, the For You section. And in Maps, you're going to have uh, nearby recommendations. So again, Apple wants to do more recommendations. So now if you plug in your phone, uh, activate the CarPlay dashboard, you're driving, you're getting recommendations from Maps for restaurants, coffee shops, uh, gas stations, you name it. As long as Apple Maps can find it, and I have some doubts about that. Uh, you yep. will get some suggestions. Uh, I guess that's about it. So why did Apple do this? Why are they doing this preview? Why are they talking about it? Why is 9.3 out in beta now? Why does it have all these new features? Well, I why two... are we not waiting for iOS 10 for all this stuff? Right. I have two theories. One is they want to get back in the news cycle after CES. 
So they left the stage open to Samsung and HTC and all these other companies. And they kind of want to back into the, you know, press coverage and with, in a big way. But also the other, the other theory that I, that I, uh, that I, I guess that I subscribe to is they're kind of breaking out from the annual, you know, September release cycle where they say, okay, we work on this OS for a year. We bundle together hundreds of features. We give it to you in September. And if you don't like it, well, tough luck. You're going to wait another year for updates <laughs> and changes. And instead, if they're, if they're going to do this, they were like, okay, we're, we'll ship the basic foundation in September with some new apps, major updates throughout the year and until January or February or maybe early March, we're going to give you updates and we're going to give you meaningful updates, not like bug fixes. Uh, we're going to give you new features, design changes, uh, maybe new apps even, um, new system features like Night Shift. That's, a, I think, a good way to not only to stay in the new cycle, but also to, you know, to have more staggered releases and saying, we want to have this set of features, but instead of rushing them all in September, making them, you know, unfinished, shipping them in a bad state. So people complain and people accuse us of having low quality software, which was true for the past couple of years. We're going to do more releases throughout the year and they're generally more stable and people are happier because they keep getting, you know, essentially more bang for their buck in a way because you know just convincing people to upgrade is difficult but if you continue to give them more features people are happy and they establish this trend of saying okay we're we're getting people hooked on the idea of performing regular updates which is better uh, for us it's better for people and everyone's happy at least that's how i would approach this yeah i mean it is an interesting break right where ios has been very annual but they've They've done this on the OS X side as well. Photos, I think, is probably the best example dropped with a point update to Yosemite. And maybe it's that the stuff isn't ready. Maybe it's that iOS 10 is like really big. Or uh, I don't know. It, it It is unusual. And I don't know if it's a like if this is the, the way they're going to do it from now on or we're going to look back and this is sort of a, a one-off thing. Uh you know, maybe it was that all the education stuff, which we're going to talk about in a couple minutes, if all of that stuff was kind of ready to go and they they wanted they needed something consumer facing too, because like the notes and the health stuff, like while it's nice, isn't huge. I think night shift is the big uh, the big thing here, and so it's know, the big new thing, right? It's the user right. feature, right? So maybe it was, um, you know. The education stuff is cool, but we need some other things too. And maybe this, you know, maybe something like Night Shift was further down the road, and they brought it forward. There's no, there's no way of knowing. But uh, I do like, I, I, I like this sort of mid-cycle release stuff. I think it, to Federico's point, it, it keeps people engaged and excited, and I think it, it helps keep the platform feeling fresh, other than just in September when it's new. So um, I'm looking forward to uh, yeah. to this making out there to the world. I should mention one more reason for me not to uh, use a Mac anymore. 
uh, now you can install a developer beta. So it's not the public beta, which has this uh, feature. Uh, it's had this feature for a while. Uh, the developer beta can now be installed with a configuration profile. So instead of having to download the firmware file from Apple servers uh, and then installing through iTunes, you can install a profile from Safari on your iOS device, reboot the device. Uh, when you... When you uh, open the settings again, you will find the beta seed available as a software update, and you can do the entire process directly on iOS without having to use a Mac. So one more item checked off from my list of reasons why I need a Mac in 2016. This was just way nicer, a process. Uh, and it's, uh, it's it was incredible. I mean, I just tap a file, start the download, and boom, done. It was so much nicer than having to use iTunes. Uh, so yeah, I'm uh, I'm happy. Uh, you know, another reason why my MacBook Air can die slowly and peacefully. So also, uh, not really previewed, but it's in the developer thing. People have been talking about it. Uh, TVOS is going to get a nice update as well. It's going to be TVOS 9.2 because no one knows how version numbers work with TVOS. Uh couple of headline things. You're going to have folders in the UI, so you can put all your games in a folder, which would be nice. It's going to support uh, Bluetooth keyboards, uh, which, of course, the old Apple TV did, and then it was dropped. That's coming back now, uh, sort of following in the footsteps of the remote app. And uh, that's that's nice. I, I've had a Bluetooth keyboard set up with my old one. I, I'm curious as if I'll do it this time around because the Siri stuff really is been pretty good at least for my uses uh, so i don't know if, if i'll bring that keyboard back or not um and uh and then there's a lot of stuff with app analytics Riku, can you walk us through that so now you can uh, if you're a developer uh i think the the major uh updates for app analytics are you can keep track of campaign tracking codes and see how they're doing. And if you have an, a tvOS app, you can now see how many people view your app page on the tvOS app store, uh, which is nice. The, the main problem is I don't believe developers can yet uh, generate uh, links to apps on the app store. So for example, we just covered on, on Mac Stories uh, the new VLC app, the, you know, the free video player. And at the end of the article, uh, we had to write... To get VLC for your Apple TV, you need to search for VLC on the TV app store, which is just awful. There should be a way to link to, to an item, you know, because the hyperlink is the currency of the web, and there's no reason why an Apple TV as a web-connected device shouldn't be able to have links to apps on the app store. Uh, but yeah, uh, I guess if you're a developer and you want to you wanna see more of your... Uh, App Analytics, now there's more to check out in iTunes Connect. And also, I believe there's now a way to see how many people are converting to uh, paid in-app purchases. That, that should be nice, uh, you know, with a lot of apps switching to, to a freemium model. Uh, that's a welcome addition. I, I keep hearing from developers that uh, App Analytics is getting better and they're, like, uh, discovering how people are finding their apps. Uh, the big Omission here, of course, is the Mac App Store, which still has no analytics for developers. The what App Store? Uh, yeah, <laughs> is there the, one? You know, the one on the computer, Mike. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, that one. Uh, still no test flight, no analytics. It's really, it's really kind of bad. But yeah. Been like a ghost town. iOS and tvOS, uh, you should be happy. 
Last thing that interested me about uh, TVOS is that it now has a podcasts app on on t- on the Apple TV, which is interesting. Although I've seen some people tweet today that it doesn't currently support video podcasts. Hmm. Which oh, is well, it doesn't doesn't make sense. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the, the main what, reason what? you would maybe want it. It's it like can't... if you made a po- like if you made a podcast app for the iPhone and it didn't play any audio. Exactly. Like, what, what, what's going on? It's a <laughs> oh, man. peculiar omission, but... Um, you know, beta, Mike. Beta. It's a beta. Yep. Yep. It's a beta. File a radar, Mike. File a radar. I'm not going to do it. I don't care enough. But uh, I just thought that that was funny. All right. Let's take a break. On the other side of this break, we're going to have Fraser Spears join us, um, who is a new Relay FM host, to talk about iOS in education. But this week's episode is brought to you by Smile and PDF Pen, your Swiss army knife for working with PDFs. With PDF Pen, you will have all of the basics covered, such as filling and signing forms, making edits, highlighting, and even OCRing. You'll be like a PDF wizard when you use redaction, word export, page numbering, and even its cousin, Bates numbering, which is a very fancy thing that I don't understand but i remember steven talking to me once about how excited he was about that and with pdf pen for ipad and iphone you'll be able to take control of contracts and forms no matter where you are if you're the type of person that enjoys a paperless office you're gonna love pdf pen no more printing no more scanning and faxing just fill and sign with pdf pen and you'll be on your way i cannot explain how much i love pdf pen because it makes these things so easy for me. I don't need to have a printer and scanner at home because I have PDF pen. Very frequently, people send me contracts that I need to sign, or I have to get people to sign contracts which also require my signature. And with PDF pen, I can do it so easily. Sometimes people send me contracts to sign that are Word documents, and I don't know what I'm supposed to do with that, but PDF pen makes it easy. I put it into PDF pen, I can add my signature, I can export it as a PDF, or I can even export it as a Word document. It is magic. It saves me so much time. I love PDF pen. Smile also has 10 great tutorials from a talented Mr. David Sparks, Mr. Max Barkey, as you know him. These short videos will teach you everything that you need to know about PDF Pen 7. You can learn more about PDF Pen at smilesoftware.com slash connected. PDF Pen 7 and PDF Pen Pro 7 require Yosemite, but work beautifully on El Capitan, of course. And PDF Pen for iOS is available from the App Store. Thank you so much to Smile for their continued support of this show. So a big part of the news about iOS 9.3, in addition to all the consumer-facing stuff, is a whole bunch of stuff geared towards the education uh, market. And really, uh, at least on, of what's on Apple's website, that's the majority of what iOS 9.3 is bringing. And uh, we have brought a, a very special guest today, really uh, an expert in the field. Uh, Fraser Spears is a co-host of uh, the Out of School podcast and a new show on Relay named Canvas with some Italian guy who hey his name. <laughs> um, so Fraser, welcome, uh, welcome to Connected. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks for having me on. So yesterday, uh, uh, obviously, big news for uh, the iPad in the classroom, which of course you have lots of experience in. Your school was the first one-to-one uh, iPad program in the world, I believe. Is that, is that correct? Uh, as far as we know, nobody's contradicted me really on that yet, so I'm going to keep saying it until <laughs> someone does. You are the pioneer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, it's been six years, and I think your your claim is probably uh, probably safe. Um, so Apple's announcements really kind of fall into several uh, big buckets. Um, the first being uh, shared iPads, which and, and all of this language, at least on Apple's public site, is is I don't want to say hand wavy, but it's not real. 
uh, detail rich. So what is, what is the shared iPad uh, program about and how do you think it's going to work? Okay, so basically what this is, is it's multi-users for iPad. Uh, and, and as far as I can tell, it's specifically for iPad. Uh, I'm, I'm not assuming that multi-user is coming to the iPhone or anything like that. And this is also positioned as a feature that is only available to education. So we, we can talk a little bit later about how they might enforce that. Uh, but basically what it is, is that students can log into an iPad. Multiple students can log into an iPad and they will get a personalized experience. Just ex- more or less exactly like you get on OS X. Uh, where you have, and I'm not sure what the credential is that you log in with, whether it's a PIN code for every user or their Apple ID password or something like that. But it's, there, there is some mechanism by which individual students can be identified and they log into the iPad and they get a personalized apps and data experience on that device, which of course is something that hasn't been possible on iOS since forever. Uh, and I think we can possibly thank the Chromebook team at Google for doing such a good job of selling Chromebooks to schools that Apple has finally had a push to bring this feature to iOS. <laughs> um, I know. So you you mentioned the Mac, where of course a multi user environment has been around since day one. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I know on the Mac and education and enterprise, there are really a couple of different ways to do this. You can have the user folder sitting on a server and more or less sort of streaming to the Mac, um, yeah. or you can do synced home folders. And I think I think this you know this has changed over the years, so my information is probably out of date. But uh, basically, you have. The home directory on the on the MacBook, uh, and when the user logs in or logs out, it syncs with the server, and so the the MacBook could be used offline or away from the server. Uh, is there any indication of which direction it's going here on the iPads? Yeah, my understanding is that the way that this works is that it's basically syncing a delta of changed data to and from a server. Now, I'm not clear on which server we're talking about here. OS X server has this feature called caching server, which can do caching for iCloud data and apps and iOS releases. And I suspect that's part of the mixture, but also iCloud in the back end as well. Uh, so what's going to happen is when, when you log into a device, uh, it, it's possible that none of your data from the last time you logged into that device has left the device. So if you have, say, a 128-gig iPad and two users, each of which have 10 gigabytes of data, then that data is just going to stay there. And it's only when the device comes under storage pressure that some data is going to be ejected to a caching server or to um, iCloud, and then it'll stream back once uh, you log back into the device. So if you do have a very large iPad and very few users, there's a possibility that you'll have a very slick experience because all the data will be able to survive on the device for both users at the same time. But if you have a 16 gigabyte iPad and 20 users, you're going to have an agonizing wait every time you reassign that device to a new user. So in the ideal scenario, would you have maybe, you know, 20 iPads in a classroom and each kid can pick up any of them rather than like a kid can pick up any iPad in the entire school? Um, What you're really going to want to do if you're doing a shared iPad deployment is you're going to want to take, say, a cart of 20 iPads and, and 20 kids in the classroom. You're going to want to say iPad number one goes to Bobby every day and iPad number two goes to Alice every day and iPad number three goes to Colin every day. So you want to have the same users having the same device because if you just give them out willy-nilly, then the possibility, the number of users that might go through that device over the course of a day or a week will be very high, which will increase the possibility of some data being ejected from the device. Whereas if you only, you know, let's say you you deploy a 64 gigabyte iPad and you say that there's one pupil in each class in the school uses that iPad. Then you can say, well, there's seven users. On average, our users maybe make six gigabytes of data. Therefore, we can size our iPad correctly to increase the chances that 
nobody will ever have their data sent off the device to the cloud, which minimizes your login time again. That would be the ideal scenario. So the, the classic sort of seating chart approach to deploying iPads to individual pupils in the classroom is going to be really important here. Uh, you do not want kids picking up any iPad out of the set and just using it. You want to make sure the same kids get the same iPad every time. But that still seems a lot better than somebody having to, I guess, drag a cart around to every classroom the class is going to be in over the course of a day, right? Yeah, I mean, the cart-based approach is, is good for primary schools, really, you know, uh, K through 8th grade or whatever that is in the US. Uh, for secondary schools, the real the ideal scenario is one-to-one. I mean, my school is one-to-one, and I would argue uh, for quite a long time, actually, that one-to-one is the right approach for everybody. Uh, from an educational point of view, I would say that that is the game changer. I was talking to my head teacher about these announcements yesterday, and she said, look, I would rather have one-to-one Chromebook than shared iPads. I said I would rather have one-to-one Kindle Fire than shared than shared iPads, um, and, and I think that's to me that's really the number one thing. Uh, in secondary, it gets very complicated because classes split up and go back together for different subjects, so they might be separated for one subject and together for another. So getting those devices to the students where they go is a really difficult logistical task. Whereas in primary schools, it's a lot easier because the kids stay usually together, usually in the one classroom for most of the day. So that's that's where carts can actually be made to work. Whereas in secondary schools, even even with shared iPad, I think it's going to be difficult to to uh, logistically get that uh, sorted out for them. So what I want to know, Fraser, is from a from an administration point of view, uh, once you create uh, multiple users and you set up this uh, shared iPad system, do you, as an admin, get any sort of web view or app where you can manage and see the data of multiple users? Can you do any sort of organization for that data from outside of the iPad, or is it just private to the user? Uh, it's a good question. There's a, the second sort of tentpole of this announcement for education has is this app called Apple Classroom, which is not at all going to be confusing with Google Classroom, which already exists. But put that to one side for now. Um, I believe, my understanding is that the Apple Classroom app allows a teacher in the class to assign specific devices in a set to specific pupils. And what that will do is that will trigger at that point uh, that device to sort of prepare itself for that student. So if that student's data has gone off the device, it will start to reposition the data back on the device before the student gets to it and logs in. So if the delta is small, there's a chance that that data could be restored before the student even gets to the cart. Uh, but if the data is large, then there, there probably will be a delay anyway. Uh, so I, I believe the Classroom app can help with that. Um, I don't know how much kind of um, analysis or insight you get from the Classroom app onto what's happening on each individual iPad. Usually a mobile device management server would have a bit more insight into what apps are there and how much data has been used and so on. But those tend not to be really appropriate for a classroom teacher to use. Mm-hmm. So how how do you, because I saw that there's another feature called uh, Screen View, which uh, I, I believe that's supposed to let you access and see what's going on on the iPad screen of another of, of a student. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah. So for me, this is this is the most important feature because uh, our school is one to one. So we're probably not going to use shared iPad very much, but we will absolutely use this. Uh, and I remember uh, when we started our iPad deployment, it was probably the first or second conversation I had with our Apple people, uh, our business development people here. I said, look, where's Apple Remote Desktop for iOS? I really would love in the classroom to be able to, from my iPad, go and look at another student's iPad and either make sure that they're on task or help them with something. And finally, we're getting this, you know, 
there's a lot of finally going about these days, but I think some of it's justified. Um, and I think uh, it's not clear to me exactly how much you can do with this. I think it is just observation. Like I, for example, I can't send a, a touch or a drag to somebody else's iPad from my iPad, but I can look at their screen. It was described to me as a sort of as a quick look at somebody else's screen. I don't know what that means. Maybe can you only mm -hmm. look at it for five seconds or can you, is it a static snapshot you take or something? Not absolutely clear to me. But the other thing that you can see on the screenshots on apple.com is you can see a view where uh, the class is kind of grouped by which app each student is using on their iPad at the moment. Uh, so in the classroom app, it seems like you can see, uh, you know, there's 10 people using Pages, five people using uh, using Safari, and two people using iTunes U or something like that. And that would be really nice because then you can see, assuming that updates in real time, you could see if somebody had jumped into Angry Birds or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like that, you know, in reading about it, there there are a lot of similarities to Apple Remote Desktop, which is, which is still around. Um but it also seems like a more of a modern take on like I know one of the features Apple uh, is kind of showing off on their pages is the ability uh, for the teacher to take any iPad screen and airplay it to the Apple TV. So if someone's working on a problem or they've come up with a solution, the teacher can share that with the rest of the students uh, pretty quickly, which which I think is is pretty uh, pretty neat. Yeah, we we've got Apple TV in most of the classrooms in our school, and, and the kids are are fairly au fait with. Uh, with being able to start airplay for themselves, but perhaps for younger te uh, teachers in classrooms full of younger students, you know, five, six, seven-year-olds, it might be more helpful for the teacher to be able to start that rather than have to wait for the student to get it right. Gotcha. Um, so so that's kind of like the, I think that's the overview of kind of the, the classroom-facing features of iOS 9.3, but there's a lot of stuff behind the scenes for people like you who are managing this stuff, and it seems like the big one is man manage Apple IDs and uh, Apple School Manager. So I know you guys have talked about it on your show numerous times, sort of the, the limitations and the frustrations of working with Apple IDs uh, mm -hmm. in a school environment. Uh, is Does this new program alleviate some of those? Uh, yeah, I think it does. Uh, I mean, the biggest problem with Apple ID was that uh, you had to essentially make one for every student. And... That's fine if you're dealing with like really quite old students, you know, 15, 16, 17-year-olds. They probably already have Apple IDs. But if you're dealing with 5, 6, 7, and 8-year-olds, they do not have Apple IDs. And typically what happens if you wanted to use volume purchase and push apps to devices, there needs to be a working Apple ID on that device in order to do that. Now, that restriction was taken away in iOS 9, but it's still a job uh, that schools have to do because other things like iTunes U, now, if you want to participate in you know, the classroom stuff in iTunes U, uh, the student has to have a working Apple ID in order to, you know, know, for iTunes U to know who's sending back the homework, for example. So schools still need an Apple ID. It's no longer so much about getting apps, but it's about getting access to services like iTunes U, like iCloud Backup and so on. So it's always been a very tricky and tedious process. One, because you can't automate it in any way. Uh, except using something like Keyboard Maestro, which I have done in the past. And the second thing is that you have to be very careful not to get banned by the App Store for spamming too many accounts. There is actually a mechanism by which, if you know the right people to talk to, you can get your IP address whitelisted for a certain period of time. If you know, you know, in, at the beginning of August or September, you're going to make 500 Apple IDs, they will actually take that uh, tripwire off your account so that you can just go ahead and make as many as you need. That sounds horrible to sit and do yeah. that. Yeah. Oh, it's agonizing. Um, 
So I, I was fortunate to only have to make 50, and that took me about a day and a half. But imagine you had to make 400 or 500, you know, it's just it's oh, borderline impossible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so we now have this thing called uh, device assignment for apps, which means that um, through your device management server, you can send an app to a device rather than just to a Apple ID. So you don't have to have a working Apple ID on the device, but that precludes you from using things like iTunes U, from depending on iCloud for backup and so on and so on. So all the other things that require an Apple ID, find my iPad, for example, which we've used a number of times as well, which is quite useful. So yeah, yeah I bet find my iPad's useful in the school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the problem is that sometimes the iPads go to sleep and they go off the Wi-Fi and then you can't get to them, which is, yeah. is agony as well. So sometimes you've got to do it the old fashioned way and send every pupil in the school looking for the device. <laughs> uh, but you know, to be fair, over six years, we, we have lost zero iPads on a permanent basis. We've lost them for a couple of days at a time but we always find them again so i guess i guess the big question for for me at least is why now so that all these changes coming um 9.3 doesn't have a release date but we can assume this spring um yeah. why why now it seems off cycle for an ios release is that because mm-hmm. of the way schools work or is it just this feels like it's done and they're kind of getting it out there because they can uh, I think it's it's a bit of column A and a bit of column B. Uh, I was told by folks at Apple that it's coming in, it, these are coming out in January because they want to take from now till the start of the next school year to test this and, and have people's feedback on it and mm. so on, which is, is wonderful to hear. Because uh, if you listen to Out of School, you know that Bradley and I quite often wish for Apple not to do everything in September because September is literally the worst month to do anything for the school because we've just started. (laughs) And, you know, when when we buy new iPads, we buy them in June, July or August. We set them up and then a month later they're obsolete. (laughs) <laughs> because everything comes out for Christmas. So I'm also keeping my fingers crossed for an iPad Air 3 this this spring as well. Um, so it's really, really great to hear that Apple are listening to that message and they're, they're bringing stuff out now so that we can kick the tires and give them feedback in time for the next school session. So that long run-up is, is fantastic. In terms of why off-cycle for an iOS release, I think the the simple answer is Chromebook. That that the foothold that Google is getting in schools with Chromebook is is really starting to scare people at Apple, and rightly so, uh, because, you know, if you look at a school making a platform transition from, say, Windows to something else, right, the door is open for people to think about something that's not Windows. If people make the decision for Chrome OS right now, that's another tech generation before Apple gets another chance to go into that school. So, And I think shared iPad in particular is a very defensive move against the Chromebook insurgency, if you like, into schools. And, and that's why I said at the start of this segment, thank, thank Google for many of these features because if it wasn't for Chromebook putting that pressure on iOS in particularly American schools, uh, I don't think we would see these features at this point. And th- that phraser is also wanna, what I want to ask you about uh, in the end. Do you believe that shared iPad uh, starts with the education market and Apple wants to test this and wants to provide an alternative to, to the Chromebook uh, sort of revolution in the education space. But do you think that this kind of multi-user support will be something that Apple will also consider for the general consumer version of iOS in the future? Uh, that's a very interesting question. And I think possibly, but I think it might take a while. And the reason for that is that the infrastructure and the mechanisms by which data is ejected from the device and cached somewhere and brought back um, that's going to be something that you're going to want a sysadmin to have an eye on 
for a while, hmm. maybe like two years, uh, because you know most households don't have a caching server on on site. In fact, I would argue probably none do. Um, and iCloud storage and things. One of the things I'm not clear about is. Uh, how much does that eat into somebody's iCloud storage quota if, if their data is being cached off the device and then brought back in? Um, and that's another question is, can schools possibly get more iCloud storage space per user? That would be very nice to have as well. Um, so I think possibly yes, but you might be looking at iOS 11 for something like that. So Fraser, looking at all of these changes and all of these new things that have come out, what do you think is going to make the biggest impact to your work? Personally speaking, is going to be ScreenView and the Classroom app. I can see our teachers adopting that app um, very quickly and, and very deeply for what we do in school. Shared iPad is great for schools that are not going to be one-to-one. -one. Our school has been one-to-one -one for nearly six years now, and we're not going to go back from that. So I, I, would, I would certainly hope that... Um, you know, schools that are looking at going one-to-one -one won't look at shared iPad and think, oh, well, now we don't have to go one-to-one. -one. We can just buy a few iPads and that'll do us. Um, because I think the experience is not going to be as good. With the best will in the world, it's not going to be as good as having your own iPad 24-7 available to you for everything that you want to do. Um, but for me, uh, the Classroom app is going to be really powerful. And also for, with my sysadmin hat on, which is the other part that I do at school, managed Apple ID brings Apple ID up to, I hope, um, roughly where Google Apps is at. Because we all, we're also a Google Apps school. And when I want to, you know, at the start of the year, make new email accounts for incoming students, shut down old ones, I just upload a CSV file and I'm done. And wow. it takes me a minute or two. Uh, and I understand that's also going to be possible for Apple ID now as well. So I can extract that data from our student management system, uh, create a CSV file of it and fire it up to a web portal. And then all of those Apple IDs are made and ready to go. And, and that's kind of the, the thing we've been wanting for years and years and years with iOS is that kind of feature uh, to take away that kind of long-term planning and hassle of getting whitelisted, sitting down for a day and just making Apple IDs till your eyes bleed, uh, and then moving on with that. So I, I'm looking forward to both of those parts the most. The Apple School Manager part, not such a big deal. Uh, I think Apple School Manager is really just, uh, it's a unified name for a number of different web entry points for sysadmins. So the device enrollment program, the volume purchase program, the Apple ID for students and the iTunes public site manager. All of those were different places people had to go. And now that's all being brought together under Apple School Manager, which is good, but it is not the most important part of the, of the announcement. I guess if people want to hear more about this, more of your thoughts and Bradley's as well, they should go and uh, listen to Out of School, which is at outofschool.net. Yep, we're there every week. And if you want even more of Fraser, which you definitely do, and more of Federico, you should tune in to uh, our new show on Relay FM called Canvas, which they both host. Uh, it's a fortnightly show discussing tips, tricks, workflows, and the best apps to living an iOS life. So you should go and check that out. The first episode is out now, and it is awesome. Fraser, is there anywhere else that people can find you? Uh, yep, people can follow me on Twitter at Fraser Spears, and my blog is spears.org on the web. Excellent stuff. Thank you, Fraser. Thanks, guys. All right, guys, so I think that brings us to the end of this week's bumper uh, 9.3 edition of the show. We should probably see if we... No, I'm not going to try and do that. Like, rename the episode number to 9.3. Is this 73? It's close enough. Just put a point close in enough. the middle. Point. Yeah, we can, we can deal with that. If you want to find us all online, there's a few places you can do that. You can go and find our show notes over at relay.fm slash connected slash 73. You'll find links to everything we've spoken about today. If you want to find Federico online, he's over at maxstories.com. Net, and don't forget to check out uh, our new podcast, of which Federico is on two of them, 
We have Canvas, which we mentioned with Fraser Spears a little bit earlier. And we also have Remaster, which is our new video game show where me and Federico are joined by the wonderful Shahid Ahmad, um, who used to work at PlayStation. And now we have all of his wonderful knowledge uh, every two weeks. So you can go and check no, that out. No, we stole him from PlayStation. <laughs> Shh, don't. <laughs> talk about that you shouldn't shouldn't mention that the all the lawyers will come uh and if you want to find steven online he's over at 512pixels.net and we're all on twitter uh federico's at vitici v-i-t-i-c-c-i steven is at ismh and i am at imike i-m-y-k-e thanks again to smile and igloo for sponsoring this week's episode and thanks again to mr fraser spears for joining us thank you for listening and we'll be back next time until then say goodbye guys arrivederci Adios.